All right. So how many of you have an imaginary friend? Uh, how many of you have ever had an imaginary friend? Oh, there's a few hands. Uh, I hope it's not a currently ongoing thing, like you didn't save a seat for them or anything, right? But uh, how many of you have known somebody that had an imaginary friend? Oh, a bunch of you. So y'all know the same people, I guess, because there's a lot more hands, right? So how many of you ever uh, had friends or people that you thought were your friends and you found out that it was imaginary? <laughs> yeah, you know what I'm talking about. So I want you to understand that this is a different question altogether. How many of you have an invisible friend? There's, there's more of you, but I think some of you are a little confused about the question. I just want to remind you of 1 Peter 1.8. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him. Now, how many of you have a, a, an invisible friend? Not imaginary, but invisible. That's right. <laughs> you know, when we talk about the Lord being our friend, uh, sometimes people think, uh, that we're talking about an imaginary friend. I heard an atheist comedian making fun of believers. You know, he says that religious people have an imaginary friend. He says, I, I got rid of my imaginary friend when I grew up. But that, that reminds me of the story about a philosopher, uh, a philosophy pr professor who uh, challenges his class. He says, how many of you believe in God? And hands go up, you know. And then he says, how many of you have ever seen God? And no hands go up. And he says, so you have an imaginary friend, an imaginary God. And so one young man in the back of the class, though, he says, uh, how many of you have ever seen the professor's brain? Okay, you just, you just got to connect those dots. But anyway... <clears throat> We're in a series simply called Believe. Believing will change your life. Believing, that's how we can have a relationship with the Lord. That's how we can know that we're going to heaven. We believe. Do you really believe? You know, of all the people in history, there is one man that the Lord said he would bless all of the nations of the earth through. There's one man who's called the father of all who believe. There's one man who is called the friend of God in the scriptures. It is the man Abraham. Three times the scripture tells us that he was God's friend. In fact, in Isaiah 41 and 8, the Lord himself refers to him as Abraham my friend. Now, there are many people in the scripture that were really close to God. I mean, there's Enoch who walked with God and he was not, for God took him. There's Moses who spoke to God face to face as a man with his friend. There's the great psalmist and king, David, who God says was a man after his own heart. I mean, these people and many others had a close relationship with the Lord. But hear this, there is only one in the Scripture who is called the friend of God, and that is the man Abraham. Why Abraham? Because he believed what God said no matter what. 
Whatever the Lord said to him, he absolutely believed it. And because of that, he was called the friend of God. I want you to know this morning, if you want to be God's friend, it begins and ends with you believing God. Not just believing in God, but believing Him. Believing what He says. The first time the Scripture tells us that the Lord spoke to Abraham is in Genesis chapter 12. And this is before the Lord had changed his name to Abraham. His name is Abram here. But in Genesis 12, 1 through 4, it says, Now the Lord had said to Abram, Get out of your country, from your family, from your father's house, to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. And you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and curse them. Him who curses you, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken to him. The Lord told Abraham he's going to do all of these amazing things in his life and through his life. And Abraham just believed what he said. He believed. We know that he believed because... He did what the Lord told him to do. James chapter 2 tells us that he showed his faith by what he did. Listen, he left the life that he knew, the people that he knew, his culture. I mean, he left it all behind. The only thing that he took with him was his wife and his nephew Lot tagged along with them also. But you know, we just need to kind of think about this for a minute, how it was in this day and time and the culture and the technology and the way things were. What technology? None. I mean, you know, for us now, you know, if we're going to move, we get it all planned out and we got a map, we know where we're going and, you know, we make plans. A lot of times you got a job arranged, you even got a house picked out. I mean, you know, we can do all of that. But listen, Abraham couldn't do any of that. He just had God's word on it. He said, I want you to leave it all behind and I'll show you where you're going. He didn't even know where he's going. Now, you know, we talked about Abraham this morning, but I'll tell you that Sarah, she must have been something else too, because most women would have said, you're crazy. We're not just heading out in the middle of nowhere. Right? But he left it all and headed out for a place that the Lord said he would show him. Now, this was the first of many times recorded in Scripture that the Lord spoke to Abraham and he believed and he acted on what God said. The Lord spoke to him again in Genesis chapter 15. Abraham has been believing for an heir. He has no children and, you know, trying to make that happen, uh, Abraham had had a child through their servant, Hagar, And this is what happens next in the story. Genesis 15, 4 through 6. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him saying, This one shall not be your heir, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. Then he brought him outside and said, Look now toward heaven and count the stars if you're able to number them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. 
And he believed in the Lord, and he accounted it to him for righteousness. Believing is the beginning place to having a relationship with God. It's the only way that you can be righteous. It's the only way that you can be right with God. In the book of Genesis, we see this really plainly, that Abraham was not perfect. I mean, he's married to his half-sister. And this isn't even in Arkansas. You know what I'm saying? I mean, we we just talked about how that he had a child through their servant girl, Hagar. Now, just to be fair about this, we need to understand that this was before the law. And yet, throughout his life, we see that he is so very human and flawed, just like we are, that he made mistakes and made compromises. This was not a perfect man. And yet, he was righteous because he believed. But he didn't just believe in God. This is the problem in our religious culture today. Most people, especially here in the Bible Belt, almost everybody believes in God. But he didn't just believe in God. He believed God. He believed what God said. See, James 2.19 tells us even the demons believe and tremble. And there are so many people today that believe in God, but they don't really believe. There's this disconnect between what they profess to believe and what they live in their life. But Abraham believed God and he acted on it. We need to always remember how important it is to the Lord that we believe, that we take him at his word. Whatever he says, we believe it. Abraham believing was not just about believing in God. I'm telling you, it was about him believing whatever God said. Now, there's more of Abraham's story found in the New Testament in Romans chapter 4, and we're going to go there. Romans chapter 4, verse 18 through 25, and I'm going to read this in the NIV. It's just a little simpler, but it says, Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed, and so became the father of many nations, just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded. So he was convinced that God had power to do what he had promised. This is why it was credited to him as righteousness. You see, it didn't matter how it looked, didn't matter what the circumstances were. He faced the fact that his body was as good as dead, and yet he knew that God would still fulfill and accomplish what he said to him no matter what. And the Bible says in verse 23, the words, it was credited to him, were were written not for him alone, but also for us. And I say this all the time. Don't 
don't read the Bible like it's a bunch of just stories, you know, just literature to read or history. It is a book that is written for us so that we will believe, so that we can walk with God, so that we can be God's friend. And you need to hear this. He says it very plainly here. This wasn't written just for him alone, but also for us, to whom God will credit righteousness for us who believe in him, who raised Jesus from the Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. Just as Abraham was righteous because he believed, we also are made righteous because we believe. It is not because we're so good. No, it is because we believe. But I want this to be really clear. Abraham believed whatever God said to him. And he expects us to believe whatever he says to us. Whatever he says to us, he expects us to believe it. You know, Hebrews 6.18 tells us that it is impossible for God to lie. In Titus 1.2, it says that God cannot lie. Is there anything that God can't do? Yes, God cannot lie. There is nothing that is beyond His power, but God will not violate His own character and person. He cannot lie. Whatever He says is true, absolutely true. And He expects us to believe it. You know, when Jesus stood before Pontius Pilate, he said, I came to bear witness of the truth. And Pilate's response is, what is truth? You see this thing where people mess with the truth? It's been going on a really, really long time. And it's really wild in our day because, you know, truth is ever changing. And I've seen, you know, it's one of the things that you see some things as you get older, you know. I've had the time and the experience of seeing how truth changes even in church and the messages that are being preached. And they always say, oh, we're not changing the truth. We're just changing the methods. Baloney. You listen to messages from 50 years ago, and a lot of it has been perverted and twisted into something else. And it's not because they got a greater revelation. Go back to the truth of the Word of God and hold to the truth of the Word of God. That's what we have to do. Because I'm just telling you, it's not just people out in the world, you know, that you, you can, each of us, you can have your own version of truth. I mean, whatever truth is to you, that's truth for you. And you know, this is truth for me and baloney. Here's how you know what truth is. Jesus prayed in John 17 to the Father. He says, Your word is truth. You see, what he says is absolutely true. He cannot lie. And that's how we know truth. We need to believe every word of God. And if you want to be the friend of God, you can never doubt or question his truthfulness. He says it, we believe it, and He fulfills it. When we truly believe, we obey. 
We see this in Abraham's life several times, and we've talked about one of those times already where the Lord just says, hey, go, and I'll show you, and I'm going to bless you there, and Abraham just goes. It's as simple as that. But I want you to know this morning that a lot of the time, people don't seem to believe enough to act on it. Believing is the key to obedience. If we really believe what God has said, then we will want to obey Him. Sometimes I think, you know, we think it's a hard thing to obey the Lord, but I'm telling you, if we really believe what He says, it's not a problem. Later in the book of Genesis, after Abraham and Sarah have had that promised son, Isaac, the Lord speaks to Abraham and tells him to do the unthinkable. It's wild. It's wrong. The Lord tells him to take his son that he prayed for and believed for for decades to take this precious child and to sacrifice him to the Lord like some pagan nation worshipers to their false gods sacrifice his son to the Lord. Now, if you know the Bible, you know the story. Somehow, this man believed God so much that he obeys God. He takes his son and he takes him up on the mountain and he ties him up and he puts him on the, on the wood and he has raised his knife ready to kill his son that he loves so much because God told him to do it. And the Lord stops him. And I want you to understand that this man believed God so much, he would do anything that the Lord told him to do. In James 2, 21 through 23, it tells us about this story. It says, Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works, and by works faith was made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled, which says Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness and he was called the friend of God. We're saved by grace through faith. But when we have a real faith, there are works that go with it. It is evidenced in our life by the way that we live. And I'm just telling you, there's a disconnect between what a lot of people profess to believe and what they're living out in their life. We need to believe enough that it actually changes the way that we live, that it goes beyond lip service, that it's something that when we believe, we actually act on it. See, how, how in the world did living by faith ever become that obedience is optional? Like it doesn't matter because we're righteous by faith. Listen, when we truly believe, we obey God. 
Abraham believed enough that he was willing to offer his son as a sacrifice. Now, Hebrews 11 gives us some insight on this story because it tells us that Abraham believed that if he sacrificed his son, God would raise him from the dead. In fact, when he and his son were about to go up the mountain, he tells the servants, he says, me and the lad are going to go and worship and we will return. Because he actually believed that somehow, you see, he believed that God would keep his word to him, that he would be the father of many nations, and that Isaac was that promised son. He believed that no matter what God told him to do, God would still fulfill his word to him. And so, yes, he was willing to obey God because he knew that if he had to raise him from the dead or whatever it took, that God would keep his word to him. Amazing. Genesis 22, 18, after this event, this is what the Lord says, In your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. Just letting that lay there for a minute. Because a lot of people profess to believe, and yet they don't obey. And I'm not talking about being perfect. We've already talked about this. Abraham was not perfect by any means. But when God spoke to him, when God spoke to him and told him something to do, he just did it because he believed. You know, People talk about believing today like it's some kind of a wish. You know, it's this strange kind of a feeling. Yeah, I believe that. I believe that. That's not believing. Real believing is being convinced of something. That you're more convinced of it than what you see. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. It is the evidence of things not seen you got to be convinced that's faith, that's truly believing. I mean, if we believe, if we really believe the words of Jesus, the things that he says, when two or three of you gather in my name, not just whenever there's two or three of you hanging out, no, when two or three of you gather in his name, He says, there am I in the midst of you. I want to tell you something. Nobody would want to miss the gathering of God's people called church. By the way, that's exactly what that word means. Church, that Bible word means assembly or gathering. It is when the people of God come together, we gather in His name, and Jesus is there in our midst. I really believe this. I tell you, this this is what it's about. It's His presence here. If we don't have the presence of God, then all we got is some second-rate entertainment. (laughs) Come on now. I want to tell you, you can find a whole lot better speaker and a better comedian or whatever else you're looking for. It's not about any of that. Nowadays, you know, it's about who's speaking, what celebrity. It's even about who's leading worship. I listen to worship music in my car, and you know now everything pops up on the screen. Listen to this worship. And almost every song now, it says, featuring so-and-so, a worship leader. 
I remember when it was just featuring Jesus. It didn't matter who was leading. We're not worshiping a singer. We're worshiping Him. It doesn't matter who's preaching, who's singing. We come together as the people of God together in His name, not because of some attraction that appeals to our flesh. I say, you see, we need to change our mentality about this. That when we come together, we're coming in the presence of the Lord. This is a powerful thing. Any two or three together in my name, there am I in their midst. And if we believe that, who wouldn't want to invite some people to church next Sunday because Jesus is going to show up? See, do we really believe? Do we believe enough to act on His words? Great Commission, Jesus says, in the Great Commission, in the Great Commission, in the Great Commission, Anybody believe the Great Commission? Oh, praise God, all evangelicals, we believe the Great Commission. But then they, they just, you know, there in, in the Gospel of Mark, they want to X off about 90% of what Jesus said and say, well, that's not for us. We don't believe that. We don't believe that. We don't believe that. I believe the words of Jesus. Believers lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. And if we truly believe that, it's an exciting thing to get to pray for the sick. And we need, we need to be faithful to, to take Him at His word and believe. Young people, if you really believe the words of the Lord, honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with the promise that it may go well with you and you will live long on the earth. I will tell you, if you really believe what He says, there's no way that you would not do it unless you want your life to be a train wreck. Because He makes this fantastic promise, if you'll honor your father and mother, it will go well with you, and you'll live long on the earth. And I always have to get this in here. You can't just let them find their own way, parents. The most important thing that you could ever teach your kids, other than to know the Lord, is to honor you. Every parent, every parent, wants things to go well for their kid. Here's how you know that it will go well, that you teach them to honor you. It doesn't happen by accident, and they're not going to get it from the culture that we live in. And I encourage you and challenge you, don't listen to the culture. Teach your kids to honor that it will go well with them and to live long on the earth. I'm just wanting you to see, do we really believe these words? Or is it just something that we kind of go, yeah, I believe that, yeah, I believe that. If we believe it, it will show in our actions. If our actions don't show it, we don't really believe. Oh, It's right, it's right. It has to show in the way that we live. I mean, if we really believe that the Lord will take care of us, that He'll bless us, that He'll defend us, that He'll avenge us, we won't have a problem with turning the other cheek, blessing those who curse us, praying for those who mistreat us. But if we don't believe, all of that just seems impossible. The issue is, is do we believe? We really believe. Do our actions show that we believe in Jesus? You just so many 
teachings of Jesus. I've said this a few times recently, but people just need to think about it. I mean, most people today that call themselves Christians believe about 10% of what Jesus said. They, they like about 10% of what Jesus says, and the rest of it, they just either ignore it or they just say, that's not for us. I believe that the words of Jesus are for us, and we should believe them, and we should act on them. In Luke 6, 37 and 38, Jesus says, Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you shall not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. I believe the words of Jesus. If we believe the words of Jesus, we won't judge, we won't condemn, and we will forgive. Here's the thing. If we don't do it, we don't really believe it. The next verse, he says, Give. Just letting it lay there for a minute. Give. Give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. It will be put into your bosom for with the same measure that you use. It will be measured back to you. Not my words. Not some prosperity preacher's words. Jesus' words. I believe the words of Jesus. If we believe His words, then we will act on His words. But I'm just telling you this morning, there's so many teachings and statements of Jesus that don't line up with the pop theology of the day and what you hear sometimes on Christian radio. Don't misunderstand me. I'm all for Christian radio. But you can't base your theology on Christian radio. There's all kinds of baloney being taught and preached and sung today. You need to stay with the Word of God. Because I'm telling you, a lot of the teachings of Jesus just won't fit in the pop theology of the day. If we believe Him enough, we'll obey Him. And if we believe Him enough to obey Him, then... We are his friends. Oh, that doesn't sound right to me. Well, Pastor, that's just not right. You know, we're all his friends. No, we're not. Not if you go by what he says. And his is the only opinion that matters. Obedience brings us intimacy. Oh, no, it's just automatic. Here's what Jesus says in John 15, 14. You are my friends if you do whatever I command. There it is. You are my friends if you do whatever I command. Now, I want to tell you, if you've got a friend or some friends that, you know, their friendship with you is conditional upon you doing what they want, you need to get some new friends. But that's earthly friends. This is a friend like no other. This is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the maker of heaven and earth. This is the Holy One, the one who dwells in unapproachable light, the all-consuming fire. This is our God. And when He tells us, if you obey what I command, then you are my friends. I want to tell you, I want to obey what He commands. I want to be His friend. 
He died for everybody's sins. I want to tell you, He will not turn away any who come to Him, but to be His friend is something so special. This intimacy with God, a lot of people will never really know that. I, I, I actually think that on some level in the grace of God, you can be forgiven and yet not really be intimate with the Lord. You ever had somebody that you're kind of friends with and they acted like they were your buddy, but you didn't trust them? Anybody know what I'm talking about? I mean, you might be friends on some level and, you know, you want to be like Jesus and help them and minister to them, but you don't trust them enough to ever confide in them. You just don't consider them a close friend, not somebody that you could trust. And then there's, I guess, sometimes we have friends that I've had this happen. And they didn't believe what I said. You know, and when, when, you're, when you're saying the truth, when you're saying exactly, you know, the way this is or what happened or whatever, and they don't believe you. I know that's not a good friend because they, they doubt what I say. I, I want to tell you something. With the Lord, who cannot lie, He absolutely expects us to believe whatever He says. And if we want to be His friend, we can't question His Word or doubt what He says. James 2.23, the Scripture was fulfilled which says, Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness and he was called the friend of God. It's through our believing that we're right with God and we can be His friends. But Jesus very specifically tells us that that intimacy of being a friend is conditional upon our obedience to Him. I want to go to it one more time. John 15, I want to read 14 and 15. He says, You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. No longer do I call you servants. For a servant does not know what his master is doing. By the way, this doesn't mean that we're not still the Lord's servant. Almost every apostle in the New Testament referred to themselves as a servant of Jesus Christ. And we also are still his servants. But Jesus is saying that he's not just going to call us a servant. He says, I have called you friends. For all the things that I heard from my Father, I have made known to you. And this was written not for the disciples, but for you and me. You see, when we obey him, we really are his friends. And when we're his friends, here's what happens. He reveals things to us. He tells us things. He Trust us with things that he wouldn't tell just anybody. Listen, I know that all of us, you know, at times we struggle with the whole concept of hearing from God. I want to tell you this plays into that. We got to obey him. We got to be somebody that's trustworthy, that God would speak to us and tell us things. And we're going to go back to the story of Abraham, though only one in Scripture who is called the friend of God. He had a long history of believing what God had said. And over the years, he 
this relationship that he had with God. It was so amazing, the intimacy that was there. And you see it real plainly in Genesis 18. One day, Abraham, he's 99 years old, and you know he's just kind of relaxing, staying out of the heat, resting at the entrance of his tent. And the Lord shows up. There's the Lord and two men. Now, I want you to understand, the Bible says very clearly, no man has seen God at any time and lived. So people get confused by these kinds of situations. Listen, the Lord appeared as a man in a human form that could converse and, you know, that, that Abraham could interact with and look at and talk to. So you just need to understand. He did not see God in all the fullness of His glory. No man has seen God at any time and lived. That's what the Bible says. Still true. But you need to understand that this was God appearing in a human form as He did other times as well in the Old Testament. But the Lord appears... And Abraham is so excited. He runs and he kneels down and he says, If I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. I mean, Abraham so valued the presence of God. He, he wants to cook him dinner. He wants to do anything he can to get him to stay just a little longer. I want to tell you, if we value the presence of God, we'll make room in our lives for Him. We'll go out of our way. We'll change our schedule. We'll do what we got to do because we want to be in His presence. And that's where Abraham was. He valued the presence of God so much. He recognized this as a special opportunity. I mean, you know, he knows the Lord, but he sees this as a special opportunity to be in the presence of God. And we need to know there's special opportunities that we have to meet with the Lord. So Abraham has dinner with the Lord. And he tells Abraham and Sarah that that promised son will finally come next year. We backed up in the story there a little bit, but they, he tells them that that promised son will come next year. And the Lord is, at this time, this is right before, He is about to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And we're going to pick it up there in the Scripture in Genesis 8, 18, 16. Then the men rose from there and looked toward Sodom, and Abraham went with them to send them on the way, and the Lord, and by the way, that's Jehovah there, not the title Lord. And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am doing? Since Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I have known him. I have known him. I have known him. He knows every one of us. He knows everything about us. He knows Every word we say, he, he knows our thoughts, He knows our heart, He knows our intentions, He knows everything. He knows us. But that's not what He's talking about here. This is something different. He says, for I have known Him. He's talking about a very personal, intimate relationship. I have known Him.
I'm not going to do this without telling my friend Abraham what I'm about to do. Wow. What a, what a friendship that the Lord would just tell this man about a judgment that's about to befall. And if you know the story, you know that Abraham interceded for Sodom and Gomorrah, and he says, if there's 50 righteous, will you spare them? And the Lord says, yes. He gets him all the way down to 10. If there's just 10 righteous, and the Lord said, yes, if there's just been 10 righteous, I'm so glad that there's more than 10 in our country. Amen. But the Lord said, if, yes, if there's just 10 righteous, I'll spare the whole two cities. But there wasn't. But I want to pick it back up in verse 19. He says, For I have known him in order that he may command his children and his household after him that they keep the way of the Lord and to do righteousness and justice that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has spoken to him. I want you to see this. He says, I've known him, i got this personal relationship with him, in order that he may command his children and his household after him that they keep the way of the Lord to do righteousness and justice, that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has spoken to him. You see, because Abraham knew the Lord, he was going to command his children to do justice and righteousness. They would keep the way of the Lord. And all of these great blessings, the Lord says, He'll bring to Abraham what He has spoken to him. I want to tell you, you see, intimacy brings great blessings. We read this in Galatians 3, 8 through 9, and the Scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, In you all the nations shall be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. See, when we believe, there are tremendous blessings that are available to us. When we don't really believe, we end up disobeying God and we miss many of the blessings that God has for us. I, I want to close with a story this morning from the Scripture that I, I just think it's tragic. It's about another great man of God that had an intimate relationship with the Lord, Moses. Exodus 33, 11, already mentioned it once, the Lord spoke to Moses face to face as a man with his friend. And how is it possible that this great man who served God, and God used him so mightily, he led the children of Israel for 40 years. He led them out of bondage of Egypt. and For 40 years, he led them in the wilderness. How can it be that this man was not able to go into the promised land? It's tragic. 
the people were complaining because they didn't have any water. And as they often did, they blamed the leadership and they blamed Moses. In Numbers 20, beginning from verse 7, it says, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take the rod, you and your brother Aaron, gather the congregation together, speak to the rock before their eyes, and it will yield its water. Thus you shall bring water for them out of the rock and give drink to the congregation and their animals. So Moses took the rod from before the Lord as he commanded him. And Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock, and he said to them, Here now, you rebels, must we bring water for you out of this rock? Then Moses lifted his hand and struck the rock twice with his rod, and water came out abundantly, and the congregation and their animals drank. Why didn't Moses speak to the rock as the Lord had told him? You know, I think on some level that it's obvious he calls them rebels. He's frustrated. He's even angry with the people. But there's a bigger issue here. So many times we tend to default to what we know and our abilities and what we can do. And we're going to do it our way. And we miss what God wanted to do. And that's exactly what happened here with Moses. He defaulted to what he knew. Hit that rock. He hit it twice. He's going to make it happen. But it didn't glorify the Lord. And this is what the Scripture says. Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, because you did not believe me. They didn't believe me. To hallow me in the eyes of the children of Israel. See, I think a lot of people would have said, Oh, I believe, I believe, I believe. But the Lord said, because you did not believe me to hallow me in the eyes of the children of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land which I have given them. So tragic. You see, Moses says to the people, he says, must we bring water out of the rock for you? No mention at all of the Lord. He didn't honor God. He dishonored Him, doing it His way. Now, I want to tell you something. The Lord still loved Moses. And Moses is still one of the greatest men in the Scripture. It is only Moses and Elijah that met with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. So, I know the Lord still loves Moses and he had good things for him. But it cost him because he didn't believe God enough to obey him and just do what he told him to do. And the point here is, is that you see, whether we realize it or not, 
it costs us when we don't believe God enough to just take Him at His word and do what He says. He still loves us. He still loves us. Moses still went to heaven. (laughs) You're still going to heaven. But so often we miss such great blessings when we don't believe Him enough to just do what He says. I want you to stand with me. I want our prayer partners to come.